When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune. So today I want to take some time to talk about an article that was recently posted over on srsrockreport.com. For those of you that don't know, that's the website that is run by Steve St. Angelo, uh, who's actually appeared on my channel a few times as a guest in the past. He focuses a lot of his work on the precious metal sector as well as energy. He has some really interesting ideas, especially on energy. Uh, and its importance and its role in economic growth or lack thereof. Now, he also does some rock-solid work on really trying to get across the, the, the real cost of mining, especially mining precious metals, and how it's it's becoming less profitable and that there is a huge cost beyond just the dollar value. And, and I encourage you to check out his work. But, but I'm going to link this article below in the description. It's titled, Top Primary Silver Miners Average Yield Falls to Record Low. Now, what he does is he takes the eight uh, top eight primary silver miners uh, around the world. He takes their average yield, ounces per ton. So these include Cannington Silver Mine, Fresno PLC, Pan American Silver, Polymetal International Hotchchild Escobar Mine, which is uh, no longer open. That's in, in Guatemala, one of the largest, if not the largest, silver mine. I forget exactly if it was first or second when it ended up closing uh, uh, a few years back. Um, uh, Buenaventura and Hecla. Okay, and so he takes these in their average yield per ton, which has declined partly just because of that closure of that, that massive mine in Guatemala, the Escobar Mine. But as a whole, if you look at it, going all the way back to 2005, the ounces per ton, I think these are metric tons, has fallen to 6.8 ounces. Now, if you go all the way back to, let's say, 2015, that number was 8.2. If you go back to 2010, 9.4. If you go all the way back to 2005, it was 13. In fact, if you look at the chart, it's for the most part uh, a, a line going straight down with a couple uh, moves up along the way. 6.8 ounces per ton. And this is really in line with what so many people, including myself, have been saying for a while now, that silver mining, especially primary silver mining, it's it's becoming harder and harder in an environment of chronically low prices. Because chronically low prices in any commodities market does not prompt investment, heavy investment in exploration, in... in uh, uh, the the expansion of existing mines you know if anything it it can to some extent promote things like capital investments in in improving the efficiency of mining sure uh in some cases it can it can prompt uh things like mergers we've seen that especially in the gold sector mergers of of gold mining companies in order to to cut costs and improve efficiency but overall it's, it's not a positive for primary silver miners. Now, primary silver miners as a whole, I'll remind you, only account for, I want to say, 20 to 15% of overall silver mine. I don't have the numbers right in front of me. Uh, the rest coming from byproduct mines. Now, that's 
when we talk about byproduct mines, and, and Steve does a good job pointing out actually in the comments uh, on this article here. When I say byproduct mines, that's gold, copper, link, and zed, uh, zed, um, lead, zinc and lead. Now, it is a byproduct at many of those mines, but he does point out that it is also an important byproduct, that some of these mines or companies wouldn't be profitable without the large amounts of silver that they're also extracting and selling. It's basically just how the mining sector classifies uh, a mine or a mining corporation. Um, and if silver accounts for a smaller portion of their overall revenue or sales, then it's uh, it's it's considered a byproduct. However, my expectation is that with these continuing falling yields, falling ore grades, that the prevalence of byproduct mining is likely going to increase. That's not to say that primary silver miners are extinct. I think that's far from the truth. There is and will continue to be silver miners that can find a way to be profitable in this environment. And as many have said in the past, you know, it's silver and gold miners that will profit maybe exponentially more than uh, uh, just physical silver and gold itself in the next bull market, provided uh, it's a relatively stable you know, marketplace and it's not just a total collapse of society and, and, and the economy. Um, plus, you have things like government uh, interference and regulations and whatnot to consider as well. You don't really have that risk with, with physical precious metals as much. Now, however, I, I, it is, it's my perspective that, that with this less and less incentive to get into primary silver mining that that's going to push more and more silver production to byproduct mining. It's not to say they'll be able to keep up with it. In fact, you know, the trend for the last couple of years has been overall falling silver production. We'll see if that continues for 2019. But what that does mean is that more and more of total silver supply is going to be concentrated among these byproduct silver miners. And some people would point to that and say, that's a reason why like silver is really not worth that much. It shouldn't be. And why, you know, the idea of a silver shortage isn't that big of a deal because these mines are going to be running regardless. And, and that, that silver is always going to be accounted for regardless of what some of these primary silver miners do. The cost of silver doesn't matter if it's 10 bucks or 15 bucks. Those byproduct miners are going to continue to mine it. Now, first of all, I would point out that it is an important part of their revenue as, as Steve points out as well. But second of all, I think that lack of diversification, especially when you have something like, I don't know what the number is, 70, 80% of that overall byproduct mining coming from primarily base metals or, or industrial metals, I'm talking copper, lead, and zinc. When you have that type of concentration, that lack of diversification, you have a supply that is incredibly sensitive to industrial demand, meaning if you have a situation in the future where the global economy... Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It contracts by, by a couple percentage points, five, 10 percentage points over a, a year or two years or whatever, a global recession or depression. And you see declining demand for industrial metals. 
Well, many people will be quick to point out that, hey, that's a negative for silver because silver drives a fair bit of its demand from industrial uses, uses in electronic devices and in all sorts of other uh, 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 consumer goods and industrial uses, right? And that's true. You, you would expect a lower industrial demand. However, as a percentage of overall, let's say, and this isn't a perfect comparison, but let's say if if uh, overall economy declines by 5%, let's make this a really simple linear world, which it's not, but but just for, for example's sake, if that means that 5% a 5% contraction means a 5% contraction in industrial demand for silver and gold or silver I should say. It also means a 5% contraction for copper, lead and zinc. Which in theory, you know, if that price uh, is then reflected in the mining sector and whatnot, you'd expect a 5% reduction in supply coming onto the market. Thus, a 5% reduction in the supply of silver coming to the market. And I'll remind you that byproducts chunk of of silver uh, from from mines other than gold mines is you know probably slightly higher than the amount of silver that goes to industrial demand. I know this is a lot of weird percentages I'm talking here, but the point of what I'm saying is that an economic downturn, yes, would hurt industrial demand for silver, but it would also likely damage supply coming onto the market for silver as well. And then you get to the other part of silver, the investment demand for silver whether it's monetary demand, people wanting to hedge themselves, whatever it is, coins, bars, uh, here in the United States, in Europe, Australia, Canada, India, uh, Asia, China, etc. And that's where things get really interesting because that type of investment demand is very uh, elastic, very flexible, whereas industrial demand, not so much. Right? Yeah, it can fall by 5, 10, 15% on really bad uh, economic news. And we're talking about a decline in maybe 100 uh, tops, you know, maybe 100 million ounces in a really bad situation in terms of uh, industrial demand for silver. That's about, you know, $1.5 billion worth of silver at current prices, which would be more than easily picked up by investment demand by silver. Now, I know some people might be thinking, you know, playing devil's advocate here, we don't want to count our hens before they hatch, right? Is that how it goes? Uh, meaning, how do you know that investment demand is going to appear? And, and we don't. That's an absolutely great question. However, if you look at the past, whether we're talking going back to 2008 and the Great Recession and, and what followed after that, or even just the last couple of years with the, the the price of silver, what we've seen is that demand for silver, investment demand, continues to be strong in some areas. So, for instance, after the Great Recession, after the, the great monetary experiment that is ongoing to this day called quantitative easing, uh, ZERP and NERP, you see a huge amount of silver demand arise out of the West, here in the United States, Canada, Australia, Europe, now, it's tapered off somewhat, but again, if, if we're going to use the past as somewhat of a guide, I would expect that demand to return in the next economic downturn. Alternatively, uh, look at somewhere like India, which is a huge buyer of silver, not only coins and bars, but also jewelry and, and to some extent things like silverware. They've been a steady buyer of silver for years, and even to this day, they continue to buy a ton of silver in those three forms, investment grade, jewelry, 
and uh, silverware and, and jewelry and silverware absolutely is is a, 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 a wealth for them right it's it's not like us i mean a silver ring for us usually very small and not worth very much a couple bucks of silver in that right depending on the grade of silver and how large it is even a necklace uh, a bracelet not that much India, not so much the case. Not to mention when you get into things like silverware, it, it can really stack up in terms of how much silver is actually being bought there. And that's reflected in demand numbers from India for silver, right? And so this, you know, is encouraging to me. And I've said this for a long time that in the next downturn, the idea that just because invest, uh, industrial demand for silver is going to fall, therefore the price of silver is going to suffer, that's, I think, a very poor assumption, especially when you look at, A, the possibility of supply dropping as well because of of this byproduct mining problem, and when you look at uh, the the elasticity of the investment market for silver and what it's done during past crises, as well as what it will do in the future as we continue on this this crazy monetary experiment, which I, I see those both as positives for silver. Again, uh, I've, I've said this how many times in the past, you know, the yearly supply of silver coming onto the market, even when you account for scrap is like what to, to round, maybe around a billion ounces. Which sounds like a lot, but that's only about $15 billion, right? Even the pr- if the price doubles, let's say the price goes to $50 an ounce, right? Still only $50 billion. That is chump change compared to the gold market, compared to just about any other large you know, stock market, uh, bond market, to the total amount of currency in circulation, whatever you're looking at, M1, M2, M3, M4, whatever measure of money, or if you're looking at debt, it's it's dwarfed by those uh, the sheer magnitude of those different measures. Additionally, another thing to consider is the total size of the, I guess, um, amount of investment grade-ish silver, I'm talking coins and bars uh, above the ground right now. And I've talked about this in the past as well. Uh, we, we can't know for sure, right? We can take into account things like silver that supposedly in vaults, silver that supposedly is backing things like the SLV um, and, and, and other silver you know exchange-traded products. But then there's also the amount that are held by people like you and I or by people in India or elsewhere, which is probably quite a bit, uh, quite a few billion ounces. But again, when you look at the total size of it, it's actually not that much. You know, in the past, I put I put estimates at maybe on, on the very upward bound of my range, maybe maybe 50, 15 billion ounces, probably I'm close to that, right? That'd be extremely generous. I think even 10 billion would be too high. I think it'd be closer to maybe you know, five to, to 8 billion as, as my kind of mid range, but it could well, very well could be much lower than that, right? It could be closer to two, three billion ounces. But I mean, that's only one ounce per person at, at you know, seven or 8 billion ounces, right? That's not very much. And then when you compare it to something like gold, which, again, they make very good comparisons in terms of their role as, as monetary metals or wealth preservation tools or whatever, uh, gold's actually in, in the same ballpark, right? The, the ratio of gold to silver above ground in, in investment-grade uh, form is you know, in the same ballpark, you know, one-to-one, one-to-two, but it's pretty similar, and it's not reflected in the price. And so I think the ability for silver to 
to really accrue a ton of investment demand is is huge and i think that's going to far outweigh any sort of potential downturn in in industrial demand uh by by many magnitudes but anyways that's kind of the the this is an overarching idea of why i've been so big into silver is because of its its ability to soak up that demand and that's not to say that i'm just in it for the money or for, for silver to go to the moon that's not the case at all right primarily silver for me is a savings account a hedge wealth preservation and then it's also an investment i think it's gonna be a good investment again in the future but in the meantime that's what i buy it for right it's, it's a great way to save with no counterparty risk than i might get at my local bank credit union or whatever else right um and also don't have to worry about the the inevitable inflation that that comes with with the us dollar or any other currency so as always, uh, I, I hope you enjoyed this video. I, I do hope that you check out that article. Again, link below in the description. As always, thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for listening to this video, this podcast, and God bless.